Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Ozbiz Live from our Brangaroo Studios. Great to have your company for the call over the next hour. We're going to run through 10 stocks picked by you. I'm going to throw in a stock of the day, something that's in the news. I'll put them to our expert panel. Uh, we do it all in 60 minutes. That's a welcome the team. Daniel Ortiz, the stock doctor. Daniel in Melbourne, grand final week as the buzz started. Oh, fun hasn't started yet, but I think it will start to ramp up by the end of the week, certainly, Koshi. <laughs> yeah, everyone's still a bit slow after the brown low, I suppose. Takes a few days <laughs> yeah. to get over that. Uh, and also, um, Daniel, you're joined by a virgin to the call um, today as well, Sean Cartwright, Chief Investment Officer at Anadara Asset Management. Sean, good to have you aboard. Thanks, good to be here. Uh, we tangled you up with Daniel because he doesn't hold any punches, so if he gets too oh. insulting, you'll be fine. Watch out. <laughs> Um, how, how are you reading the market at the moment? Uh, it's really interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of smart capital still sitting on the sidelines where we're not seeing the institutional money really flow in yet. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing these pullbacks, right. which are probably a little bit more severe than they otherwise would be. So it's all a bit thin volume. Yeah, there are. They're down massively. Futures are, are way down. Normally, we'd be 30, 35, 40,000 contracts a day. Right. And we're just not there. So, right. Yeah. Um, when when the instos start to come back in, I think we should see a good end of the year pending what happens with right. interest Ooh. rates. And so you're saying the Santa rally could be good this year? I think we'll have one. Okay. But there's a few uh, caveats on Fr- that. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon, Daniel? You was positive on a Santa rally? Oh. Oh, you, you've set me up to be the sour one here. Coach. I think we're a little bit more bearish. Um, yeah, we're, we're still we're still being a little bit negative on the market, based around more so the earnings risks, um, and you know, obviously the the uptick in oil prices recently is is a bit of a concern, and what bond yields are doing, another concern for markets, especially risk markets. So, uh, I think we're still happy to sit mostly on the sidelines at the moment, um, and just wait to see how things play out, Koshi. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's. Uh bit of a crossroads at the moment, isn't it? Let's see how the rest of the year plays out. Um, this half hour, in the first half hour of the show, we're going to be taking a look at Trajan, uh, Rural Funds, Azure Minerals, Elevate Uranium and Wesfarm. Stock of the day, though, thought we run our eye over um, a, a bit of a perennial favourite here on the call, Endeavour Group, um, since it was spun out of Woolies not that long ago. Owner of Dan Murphy's, of course, um, refused to vote on the election of former Woolworths boss Bill Wavish to the board of the company. There's a bit of unsettledness going on uh, on the board of Endeavour. It's always seemed to be a really strong defensive stock. At the moment, Bill Wavish, of course, from Woolworths, then ran the uh, sort of private equity uh, project on Maya not that long ago, and Dick Smith, I think, as well. Uh, the bid looks to have been killed off, at least for the time being, unless 
a bill can obtain a complex regulatory approval from state and territory governments in the next five weeks. The retail giant warned that the resolution would be withdrawn if Mr Wabish did not receive all necessary regulatory and probity clearances. And Daniel, when this happens on the board of a stock like Endeavour, what do you think about it? Does it change your view on the stock? Look, I don't think it necessarily changes our view, especially because Endeavor is obviously a larger corporation. So, you know, it's concerning from a governance point of view, but, you know, it's it's not as if the board members have, you know, a huge swing in day-to-day operations. I think with smaller companies, the boards and, and the management teams are, are much bigger drivers. Um, but, you know, it's seemed to be a common theme with the Matheson family, hasn't it? Koshi in, in recent months creating a, a bit of a stir on, on boards and obviously they're the largest shareholders mm. um, and there was a great article today in, in the AFR about it. Look, I, I think bottom line is there's a lot of regulatory uncertainty and risk um, and it doesn't help that the company, you know, it doesn't actually paint uh, very fine details in terms of the bottom line drivers from the gaming segment. It's more so overall numbers they provide you. So from an analyst point of view, it is hard to see how the how the gaming regulations will impact earnings you know some say it's to the tune of five percent a year some say it's considerably more than that so i think that uncertainty alone is just what's causing volatility in the stock um as well as they do have you know a, a pretty large pile of debt on the balance sheet not unmanageable at this point yet but certainly you know if, if things don't turn around in terms of performance uh, and we've seen with star entertainment what happens when you have regulatory uncertainty earnings mm. uncertainty and too much debt. I'm not saying it's going to head down the same path as that in, in any way, but um, you know these types of things tend to be a bit of an overhang on the stock. So we're watching it closely. We, we're, we're more of a hold at the moment. We do own the stock, um, and we think you know we'll probably like to see a bit of that uncertainty resolved before upgrading it to more of a buy. Okay, all right. Because I was going to ask you, that's a shocking chart. It has just plunged, and this was a stock that when we went into an economic downturn, all the analysts were saying, hey, buy Endeavour, it's sort of inflation proof, it's recession proof. God, it's horrible. I think as well, Kosh, you have to remember, you know, they really over earned during COVID, you know, with the profits in Dan Murphy's, everyone was buying alcohol at home, because obviously we didn't have an outlet um, in terms of restaurants and stuff. So the earnings were just coming off a really high base. Okay, Sean, what do you think? Um, I agree with a lot of the comments that Daniel made, um, and I was having a look once we uh, once we received this one this morning. A lot of the analysts are only predicting or putting a price target of around six to six dollars forty on it, so there isn't a lot of upside. Yeah. Um, I think they were over earning during COVID. I think that, uh, and I think the debt. I think while it is manageable, like Daniel said, I still have. Um, I wouldn't be looking to buy right now, but if you're already in, I'd hold. I think with China looking like they're going to ease um, ease uh, the, the tariffs trading. on the yep. wine trade, that might give it a little bit of a kick. Um, but I don't think it's enough to make it a buy. Because it's a quality, they have quality assets, don't yeah. they? It's sort of, and when you drop down like that, a lot of uh, sort of private investors would be thinking, oh, is this... Is this a bargain when yeah. when it's being <coughs> slammed because of the board disruptions? Yeah, um, I, I think that's a real risk. Right. Um, and we have a lot of discussions with our clients um, around these things when yeah. charts look attractive and appealing, mm. um, whereas the chart doesn't always tell the whole story, yep. especially when you've got these, these potential headwinds in your way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it's good lesson, is it? It is, and yeah, I, I just don't see enough value to pile into the stock yeah. now. So you've got time on your side. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's get into the uh, a whole both from both Short and Daniel on Endeavour. Let's get into the first stock that uh, you want us to take a look at. And Sean, Josh wants a view on Trajan, the, uh, uh, basically the life science devices uh, products um, around the world. They manufacture US, Australia, Europe, Malaysia. Uh, John Eels, um, all those watching the, uh, the Rugby World Cup, he's a director and been buying in September. I noticed in the director transactions as well. Um, what do you think of Trajan, Sean? Um, look, as you can see from the chart, it's been pummeled in the last yep. uh, last couple of months. I think the market was probably pricing in that it would probably grow a little bit quicker than it did. Um, they do produce really quality niche products that are quite hard to replace. Yep. See, Life360 has done really well, has it? Do you think people yeah. have been going, oh, gee, they've done well? I, I think so. I think there's a lot of that. I yeah. think, um, and again, when we speak with clients in the market, they tend to try to buy the thing that hasn't run yet. Yep. And again, I think that's a bit of a mistake. One thing that I can see as a little bit of a tailwind is they've got multiple potential future products that they're working on. I think they'll continue to get some decent R&D tax right. um, incentives. Um, I think following their recent acquisitions, their accounts looked a little bit messy this year. And I think that might be one of the reasons that it's been sold off so heavily. Um, they don't really have any big names on their register apart from Australian Super. Mm. I don't see any reason to buy, but if you're already in the stock, I'd probably say it's a hold. Because okay. um, I think I think there will be some upside from here. Um, not enough though, if you aren't already a holder. Right, okay. Um, Daniel, after su such a drop, I, I usually go to director transactions and see what they're doing. And I've, a lot of them have been exercising options by the, the look of it, but uh, uh, some of them have been buying around dollar fifty, dollar eighty over the last couple of months. Yeah, look, I think it's one of those situations where you know, post IPO, there was a lot of hype around this stock, you know, and I think there's good reasons for that. If you you know have a little bit of knowledge about the history of the business, it's probably one of the more interesting histories um, in, in terms of corporate stories. Like the, the founding family literally mortgaged their house um, to acquire a business in, in kind of the consumable space. I think it was microscope slide space and kind of grew the business into what Trajan is today. So really interesting background. Obviously, you know, ASX investors love that founder mentality, that yep. management team, high inside ownership. Mm. Um, into what Sean said, I think people really underestimated the acquisitions that they were doing. And look, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but they took on a lot of debt in, in creating those acquisitions. And the issue with that is that these acquisitions weren't really financially driven. They were more acquiring products or manufacturing facilities or adjacent um, products that they can sell in the value chain because they are in that consumable space for testing. Um, so they weren't really acquiring them on on you know financials that were relevant for paying down debt. And I think that's got the market a little bit concerned now too. So another situation where acquisition growth is gonna be very tough right now because they don't really have the balance sheet flexibility and like Sean said, growth aspirations of what the market was pricing in was probably a lot higher um, than what's been kind of earned over the last few years. But 
Having said that, now that the acquisitions have flowed through, the financials will look a lot better going forward. Mm. They're already calling out, if you look at the, you know, the company's guidance, significant improvement in gross margin. Um, they have, a, they have a, essentially a, a strategic plan to shift a lot of their manufacturing to Malaysia. So no doubt, you know, we'll, we'll see a much better set of financial accounts going forward. Um, but it's one of those situations where the industry overall just hasn't been very positive. So the life sciences testing and, and the pharmaceutical testing um, industry, if we look at, you know, peers, how they've reported in America, significant slowdowns. Um, so, you know, we can't expect them to really outperform and have high right. growth rates in that industry environment. So I, I would certainly keep my eye on this one. Um, you know, potentially if you are higher up on that risk scale, you know, it might be worth a bit of a nibble at these prices, more so just to make sure that you're watching it and following it quite closely uh, because they really do have an interesting model um, and they, they're working with companies, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world, like Thermo Fisher. So they, they clearly have a really interesting business model here. Okay, so if you're in it, hold it. And if you have a high risk profile in your uh, in your self-managed super fund or whatever, have a bit of a nibble and, uh, and keep a watch on it. Yeah, I think that's a fair okay. rating at these valuations. All right. Okay, uh, Daniel Carter wants a view on rural funds, the, uh, the REIT. Uh, based in, in the agricultural industry, $2 billion worth of farmland and assets, covers everything from cattle to almonds, macadamias, cropping, the whole lot. Um, are, you, are you a big fan of the ag sector at the moment? Yeah, look, the, the ag sector in terms of kind of the operating assets is always really difficult on listed markets. Uh, in terms of owning the property and, and in particular the water rights, I think is a, is a lot more of an attractive um, space for, for kind of that alternative asset exposure. I will say, you know, Stock Doctor's got a pretty long history with rural funds. We, we were pretty significant investors, you know, a few years ago and, and the team and, and David Bryant, you know, they, they have a great kind of track record in growing the portfolio. And, and one of their huge kind of strategic drivers is to perhaps acquire, you know, farmland or, or assets and redevelop them for better use, you know, so acquiring it perhaps, um, uh, you know, under a, under a different farming arrangement than upgrading it for grazing land uh, for cattle. So when you do that, obviously you're incurring a lot of the, the costs up front in terms of debt, in terms of redevelopment costs, uh, and you don't necessarily get the benefit until you start really leasing that portfolio up. So they've had that issue in recent years, um, specifically when they acquired macadamia orchards, you know, they're, they're redeveloping it, they're upgrading it for better use, they're installing irrigation systems, and then they're still in the process of leasing that out. So there is a bit of a gap between what I would say, you know, cash flows and expectations should be um, versus what they are right now. Look, I, I think, you know, the valuation at the moment looks really appealing. But just because the, the difficulties we're seeing um, in the REIT space with, with interest expense costs and, uh, and the level of gearing they have, you know, potentially probably more on the hold side at the moment. You know, I think it's another one where arguably you could, you could nibble it, um, but there are genuine kind of risks uh, to the outlook and the balance sheet, I, I think, need to be recognised. Yeah. Um, Sean, that issue with REITs at the moment just... Uh, sucks everybody in, doesn't it? They're, they're just not the place to be. No. Um, look, I really like the agriculture sector and we think yep. that farm values will do well and increase over time. Um, I think uh, with the debt stack this particular firm has, um, the higher interest rates are going to squeeze their margins fairly significantly. Um, what did I say? Revenue has been forecast to increase 5% this year, but, um, but, the, but earnings will fall by 20% according oh, okay. to their forecasts. Yep. 
um, and their earnings per share are forecasted for by 20% as well. Um, I think they've got the world's largest macadamia farm, so if you like nuts, I mean, it's a pretty good thing. Um, and I think it's going to have a relatively low cost base, uh, yeah. that particular business, just because of the sheer scale of uh, that operation. Um, the company was pretty uh, pretty switched on, and a lot of REITs don't do this, and they did put in some interest rate hedges, um, not enough to offset the, the sort of rises that we've had. Um, and I think, um, as Daniel said, I think the, the delay between establishing the farm and the lease payments coming in, right. I, I really couldn't put a buy on this right okay. now. Um, not a sell, but I'd, I'd hold if you're in there, but certainly not um, a buy. Do you prefer um, elders in that, that space or uh, select harvest? Uh, or yeah, probably elders. Any of the, would, the others? Yeah, probably elders right. would be the pick in the sector. Right. Um, I just think little bit less debt, um, relatively speaking, than this yep. business. Um, yeah, that I, I just think these type of businesses and REITs and anything where they've they, they leverage using debt yep. really hard to get behind right now until we've got a bit more clarity on what interest yep. rates will do. Yeah, yeah. So you have debt, and then you have nature <laughs> and nature <laughs> stuffing your business up. Yeah. Well, as I read here over the weekend, sort of sheep prices are down. <laughs> yeah. Just through yeah. the floor, and then yeah. I was reading somewhere else that, that <coughs> some some nut has fallen fallen out of favour because California's overproducing. Oh. I'm oh. thinking, Poor geez, they're, they're complex businesses, aren't they? That, and and they are. Mm. And investors don't like complexity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. When, you, when you've got much simpler alternatives yeah. on the market for your yeah. portfolio. That's right. All right, um, Sean, <laughs> Reza wants to know, is Azure Minerals a simpler prospect uh, on the market? Uh, totally different, of course, in the resources sector. Uh, base metals, precious metals, silver, uh, lead, zinc deposits in um, north of Mexico. Um, uh, yeah, so Azure, I mean, it's another is this Azure Minerals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah sorry. Um, so it's another creasy bullseye. Um, yeah. Anyone that's been in the stock for a little while has obviously had a fantastic run. Um, I really like the sector. I really like everything that they're um, mining. Um, they're now really well capitalized. Look at that chart. Oh, it's, uh, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Like I said, it's another Mark Creasy bullseye. Yeah. Everything he touches seems to turn turn to gold. Yep. Yeah. Uh, following their recent capital raise, they're incredibly well funded. Um, they they tacked on a $10 million SPP, and I think they had something like $20 right. million worth of demand. Um, so so that that growth there yeah. is despite existing shareholders being watered down. Well, yeah, existing from, shareholders had the opportunity the capital yeah, to participate yeah, yeah. through the SPP. Right. Um, now, I'm going to say something that's probably really unpopular because I think long term this is a, uh, this will be significantly higher in a few years. But I think in the short term, I'm a sell on this. It's just right. too hot and there's too much speculative money in there. Um, um, I, and I think following the amount of money they've just raised, I, I think what we tend to see in the month or so that follows is some of that stock seems to fall out. And I right. think there are going to be buying opportunities a little bit lower over the next three to six right. months. Um, but long-term, great company, just not right now. So fundamentally, good company, Yeah. but it's just got way ahead of itself. So yeah. if you've ridden it up, take your profits, buy back in later. Yeah, it, it, I, I just don't see value at these prices today. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, Daniel, what's your view? Oh, look, th th this is what dreams are made of in the resource <laughs> speculation space, isn't it? And yep. like Sean's pointed out, Mark Creasy, I mean, he's got so many so many fingers and so many pies in, in, in WA in tenement holdings and famously uh, discovered the, the Nova mine and, and, you know, sold that to IGO and he's, and he's hit it again here, a big winner. Not only does he hold, I think, 15% of the company, he actually owns 40% of the project directly. So, wow. you know, I think the market cap's about $1.2 billion. Yeah. The, the implied valuation of the project's over $2 billion right now. So for, for a new stage exploration uh, find, you know, it's in the lithium space, things are very hot right now, but, I mean, the valuation's just incredible. Um, I think people... You know that they are quick to judge, um, but they actually had a had a takeover offer and, and not really much, not really publicised. But I think SQM effectively wanted to take them over at about two dollars forty per share recently. So um, they were a big investor in the recent placement as well, uh, and now they hold about twenty percent of the stock. So when we talk about explorations and, and discoveries in the space, you know I think Andover is probably one of the the biggest and, and best in Australia in recent history. Um, you know, some comparisons have been floated in terms of valuations. Looks like they can arguably be bigger, um, higher grade and closer to surface than, than Kathleen Valley. And also that the, the location is a lot better, much closer to infrastructure and ports. So, and that, that's been taken over for over $6 billion right now. So there's upside, but the timeline to that is probably a little bit too far out for us to, to be buying here, Koshi. I think if you're in it, like Sean said, I'd certainly be taking profits uh, but but you know there's a there's a genuine reason why the valuation is sitting close to two billion dollars right now. This this could be a huge huge discovery. Um, if you look at where they're continuously finding lithium, you know it's hundreds of meters outcropping away uh, from initial hits. So you know it looks like something that can be quite large. Um, and if it does and it gets to that point, there will be takeover interest okay. uh, for this deposit. So, so while lithium producers and explorers are easing at the moment, this has gone against the trend because it's and and would would attract a lot of interest from people wanting the next big thing in lithium as the as the major players stabilize um what's a fair price for it like if uh, along with sean you're taking your profits now buy back in on a pullback what's a reasonable pullback level to get involved I think arguably, you know, considering SQMs are already made a bid at 240, you could potentially say, well, that would be a bit of a line of support for the company. You know, they'd be interested in those types of valuations. And SQM obviously have done the work in what they think the project is valued at. In terms of valuing it at this point, Koshi, we don't even have, you know, an established mineral resource. So it's, you know, uh, the, okay. it could be anything from from zero dollars to billions of dollars. You know, the, yeah. the range is just too wide. So that's why I think it's it's prudent. Take your profits. You know, it's something that you'd continuously want to follow, certainly because it has that huge potential. And, and there's a scarcity of deposits in great jurisdictions. We look at companies like Leo Lithium and what's going on in, in Africa, you know, th there simply isn't a better place to invest uh, than Western Australia, especially for lithium. So, yeah. you know, I think there's genuine reasons why the price is where it is, but you know, at these levels, you've got to be taking profits. Yeah, what, what level would you look at it, Sean? Oh, fair way back. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd need to see the market cap below half where it is right. now to okay. buy um i don't I, I don't think it's going to get there because there's so much speculative money in there now 
Um, but that's okay. There's a lot of other good opportunities. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, Daniel, is one of those opportunities elevate uranium? Uh, Tim wants a view on that. Um, only recently listed, isn't it? Um, elevate. Oh, no. Uh, it's been around a while, has yeah. it? Around a while. Uh, tenements in Namibia and also in Australia as well. Yeah, not one I followed too closely. So, um, you know, I probably can't give a, a really great insight into it. But, you know, just looking at recent presentations, it seems like not only do they have, you know, various kind of exploration projects um, in the uranium space, but they also have some type of uh, some type of, I think, processing technology um, that they're that they're saying, you know, will, will help them in, in development and potentially some bit of IP which can can improve recoveries and benefication as well. So, look, there's interesting things going on here. I think the board and management team have, have been in the industry for for you know quite a number of years. So, something to perhaps look at a bit further. I do know there's only about ten million dollars in the bank, so no doubt they will need to, to tap markets again relatively soon. And I would say the uranium space is probably the new kind of hot thing in the mm. mineral sector. Um, people are kind of starting to fade away from lithium, perhaps aside uh, from Azul Minerals, and they're really starting to get more interested in the uranium story. Um, you know, I, I, I've probably seen this cycle, you know, play out a few times in uranium, the <laughs> argument about there's not enough supply for the demand that, that we're expecting going forward. And, you know, it's just a very difficult industry to invest in because you know in terms of supply we you know we have one of the biggest producers in Australia in Olympic Dam in the uranium space so I think there are kind of mountains of supply that can come onto the market so I think if you're in this you're probably more looking perhaps for, for a bit of a trade on sentiment around uranium and, and their technology uh, but I, I just simply don't have enough really to give a qualified opinion on it. Okay. <clears throat> Sean, what do you reckon? Uh, bosses <laughs> had a run, Paladins had a run. As da Daniel was saying, um, it's pretty easy for supply to come on, isn't it? We've got so many uranium mines in mothballs at the moment that are, are developed and just need to be switched on. Yeah, well, full disclosure, I'm a stock, I own this uh, right. right now, as do quite a few of our clients and investors. Um, I really like this business um, and it's something I've been following for a little while now. Right. Um, like Daniel said, mm -hmm. outstanding management team with a lot of experience in the area. Um, if you're looking at the sector in general, you've just mentioned Paladin Boss, they've gone on fantastic runs yep. and we've we've been invested in those um, for quite some time as well. Um, so Sprott, um, uh, they set up a brand new uranium ETF about a year ago and um, and when they did, every uranium stock on the planet went on a massive run and that was what really spurred Paladin yeah, to yeah. and Bost where it is. Right. Um, I'm not sure if Sprott have bought uh, into Elevate, but they are in a fantastic um, jurisdiction. They've got some technology that they'll be able to license out. They've got a great team. Um, and I really wish that Australia would get on board with um, with uranium. Yeah. Not a popular view with a lot of people, but we've got a we've got an energy minister that's um, making comments that aren't based in fact. Um, really, really silly of him to do that. Um, uranium, I think, for our country is the answer to cheap baseload power, and I can't yeah. believe that the energy minister's letting the green agenda kind of push him around and. Well, a lot of people say oh. that, uh, it's the only way to get to our emissions targets is to use uranium to provide baseload rather than gas and coal. I 
couldn't agree more. It, right. it, it is um, the net zero <clears throat> targets that we've set, they're unachievable. And I think the only <clears throat> the reason that we invest in the energy sector um, is because government spending is going to have to increase so much and that's going to yeah. push the valuations up of the companies like this. Um, we have to use uranium if yeah. we're going to achieve these targets. Otherwise, it's just uh, a bit of a pipe dream. So buy, uh, buy, buy at these yeah, levels? I, yeah, I, uh, I see value. Better alternative to Boston Paladin? Um, with, with regards to upside from here, I think yep. so. Okay. Yeah. All right. And our fifth stock this half hour, Sean, Ben wants a view on Wes Farmers, of course, the... Uh, uh, the owner of Bunnings and Officeworks, big retail uh, portfolio, but also some resources. Well, they've got a um, massive lithium mine that no one ever yeah. figures into the into the market cap of West Farmers as well. Um, West Farmers, it's the great Australian conglomerate. It's, yep. um, it's kind of the Australian Berkshire Hathaway. So <laughs> they've, um, they've just built this behemoth through acquisitions and they're acquiring blue chip companies. Um, they're rumoured to be considering an acquisition of Green Cross, which is a vet business. Um, yeah. Again, I haven't done a lot of research into Green Cross, but I believe it's relatively profitable. Um, it'd be a great acquisition for them. They've just, uh, they're in the process of acquiring Silks Laser Clinics, Australia's largest um, uh, laser clinic yep. uh, business in Australia. They had revenue of $43 billion. Um, Last year, they've got a, an okay dividend at about three and a half to four um, percent. It looks like with their war chest of cash, they'll continue to grow through acquisitions. Um, the only real things that I think could be a slight headwind uh, would be the fact that they're such a large employer, and with rising wages and with yeah. the, the current government um, pushing uh, pushing businesses and making things really difficult for employers. Uh, there could be some higher wage costs, uh, but otherwise, I don't see any reason not to own West Farmers. I think a buy at these levels. At yeah, 50 I, I think it's a buy here. Okay. I think there's upside. Um, and they do have these these other little gems in the portfolio yeah. that no one ever talks about. And like you said, they're not priced in. They, they don't have a dozen other companies that the market never speaks about. And it doesn't take much for the market to get excited by these things. And this yeah. is where you can get that outperformance. Right. Okay. Um, Daniel, what do you think of uh, Wes Farmers? As Sean was saying, it's a, it's an old-fashioned conglomerate. It's like, like a listed investment company, is it? <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and I guess that's kind of the, the strength. And I guess perhaps the weakness as well as the, in the business because you always see certain areas outperforming and doing really well and perhaps some other areas pulling back. But you know that, that's kind of the, the great thing about having a conglomerate. You never really go through one specific cycle, you know, which can which can hamper your, your profitability uh, really significantly. So we actually saw the retail businesses outperform in the recent result. And, you know, clearly, you know, people are favoring more the discount operators, you know, they, they, they're heading more so um, to Kmart and such these days uh, to the, do their shopping habits. And, and that really supported them well in this report. When the cycle kind of switches and, and we're back on spending, no doubt Bunnings will, will head off again. So they do have that kind of natural defensive position in the conglomerate which we like um, focusing more on the lithium assets Koshi it is really interesting because Mount Holland you know true to the West Farmers way you know they're not just mining rock and selling it directly they, they want to do the processing here so they, they've got a huge capex bill that they're fitting through I think with SQM 
is their joint venture partner back from when it used to be uh, the Kidman Resources that was already a strategic arrangement in mm. place. Um, and the issue is, you know, we've seen companies like IGO struggle with the downstream in Australia. Like it's probably been a year and a half in terms of a timeline with IGO's Quinana facility where things just haven't ramped up to the way that it should have or that, that, that they were originally guiding to. So when we talk about, yeah, there could be near-term earnings from lithium, well, potentially from mining spodumene, but in terms of the downstream conversion, I think that will take a little bit longer. Right. Uh, and it's already been pushed back a few times already. So potentially that's the only thing in terms of an overhang, which analysts might be a bit critical of. Um, so I think, you know, more so in terms of evaluation, a hold is a bit more appropriate at these levels. But if they do have success there, um, then, you know, that can be almost a billion dollar profit driver for the business as well, um, depending on where lithium prices end up. So it's certainly something to watch. Um, but, you know, I'm just a little bit sceptical yeah. on the execution yeah. there now. They're like a, a list of private equity group, aren't they? They see, yeah. see these opportunities and they go for them and generally get it right. Some would say they stuffed up coals, but uh, yeah. yeah, they. they I, I, I actually, you know, not many people bring this up, but they made a play at Linus a few years ago um, when Linus was at a really yeah. depressed level in the rare earths market. If they got that acquisition through, uh, I mean, they, they'd probably be worth another five, five or ten billion or so. So they're, they're uh, clearly a management team that know what they're doing. Yeah, they give it a go. That's for sure. All right, let's recap the uh, first five stock stock of the day. Endeavour with all their. Uh, their board disruptions are hold from both Daniel and Sean. Uh, Trajan, uh, hold from Sean. Uh, Daniel thinks it's a really interesting business and, and worth a nibble just to keep on your watch list. Uh, rural funds are hold from both. Uh, Azure, um, take some profit, sell Daniel and, and uh, Sean uh, are same because it's had a massive run up. They love the company, uh, but you know can't see it. Uh, maintaining this momentum, um, look maybe at buying back a little uh, little later on when it pulls back. Uh, elevate a buy from Sean in the uh, in the uranium market. He's been following it closely. Uh, has clients in Elevate and and have ridden the share price up. And West Farms a hold from Daniel and a buy from Sean. Here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as uh, picked by the investment committee. Uh, uh, see the most recent committee meeting live on ausbiz.com. Uh, at the September meeting, uh, Paradigm Pharma was traded out. Challenger brought in, uh, received a bit of a boost from a 1% trim in uh, Altium and Paladin as well. Uh, and the fund is currently up about 10%. Uh, this half hour, we are going to talk about Silk Laser, uh, Blue Scope Steel, RPM Global, Capricorn Metals and HMC Capital. Sean, you mentioned just before uh, uh, the break, uh, Silk Laser under offer from um, from Wes Farmers. Yeah, um, look, there's really not much to say on this one. Um, I really like the business and have been a holder. Um, the takeover offer from West Farms is three thirty-five. It's trading at three dollars thirty. Right. Um, sell, so just take the offer. Sell and go and do something else. So and there won't be a competing, competing bid come in. No, they don't. Well, don't there was around. there was a competing bid. Yeah. Um, West Farmers up their offer and we we landed at three thirty-five. Um, there is consolidation in the sector. We really like the space, so we actually found another company in this sector that will oh. list shortly. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, more profit or better margins, more profitable. Right. So keep your eyes out. Um, oh, what's it called? Uh, 
Cosmetique. So, right. um, so Australia-wide business now. I uh, think they've just lodged their PSR with the ASX to list later this year. So right. interesting, interesting one to look out for, especially with the consolidation occurring in the sector. Right. Okay. Cosmetique. Yep. Uh, well, we won't miss it seeing there are so few IPOs coming on the market yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Uh, that will create a bit of a following. Um, Daniel, you agree? Just take your money and run, take the offer. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think there's not much really to go here. Uh, I, I believe it's binding. The offer's already binding. And I'm not sure if right. it's been accepted or not, but yeah, so so it's pretty much wrapped up. But similar to what Sean said, the, the reason why this industry is so interesting because just from, uh, I guess, a demographics or, or a thematic type of view, not only the, is laser rising pretty heavily uh, in terms of prevalence and, and relevance amongst younger Australians, but also the injectables. I mean, that, that's going to be a huge stream of earnings for these companies going forward, you know, just because of the costs relative to, I guess, how consumers view the, the necessity to have um, perhaps lip fillers and the things. Like, it seems like something that will be around uh, certainly in a big way going forward. And we can thank Instagram for it, can we? <laughs> yeah, perhaps you should be paying the Kardashian family a royalty on on that. Yeah, yeah. Line, but, uh, Everyone yeah, wants, very interesting. Wants to look their best for the gram. All right, and uh, watch out for Cosmetique coming up um, as an IPO later in the year. Um, seventh stock, uh, sort of a long way from um, lip fillers. Uh, Daniel Blue Scope Steel. Mark wants a view on it. Color Bond, of course, it's, it's the building products group here and overseas in North America, uh, famous for its colour bond and and colour steel products. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the history of kind of the steel businesses, you know, super cyclical companies. Uh, I will say Blue Scope, you know, they do have a few differences where especially in their Australian um, products market, obviously, like you've mentioned, Koshi, that they got good brand brand recognition um, and, and product streams with Color Bond. So, you know, perhaps a bit of a difference. Perhaps it's a little bit less commoditized in in that region. But at the end of the day, you know, profits will be driven by what the steel spreads are doing. And if you look at steel spreads, pretty much the last five years, you know, they've just been well above. Um, long run averages. Now, what's driven that? Obviously, low rates, driven big booms in construction, development infrastructure, all require steel. So they've been a huge beneficiary. They've actually kept the balance sheet in pretty good shape, um, net cash position, and they're heading into a higher investment phase. So I think, you know, if you look at kind of forecast, CapEx is probably going to go up around 50% from here to develop um, some of the some of the things they're redoing uh, at Port Kembla and also in the US. Uh, they've also caught out acquisitions as well as obviously they've got a buyback program going on. Now you're doing that into a period whereby demand might be a little bit questionable, depending on obviously the length of period that we have rates higher for longer. And not only that, but you have this this you know interesting thematic in the US has been a lot of labor strikes. So for example, the automotive industry has had numerous strikes. Now that's one of the biggest drivers of steel demand. Will that put a bit of a delay on purchasing or restocking. We've already seen in China some of the construction groups have called out, you know, potentially a delay in their restocking of steel purchasing. So I think there are a few risks, you know, in the near term, perhaps, you know, not really priced in. The stock looks cheap, but any any cyclical business to this extent always looks cheap at the top of the cycle. So, you know, I think we'd be happy just to be a a seller at the moment. The last thing is that obviously iron ore prices and coal prices continue to be above where they've kind of the prices they've used for forecast, which is another concern. So I think at the moment you can stay out of it, uh, but probably one you want to look at when the cycle looks really bad. Okay, Sean. 
Um, look, we're a hold here. Um, I like the business, great fundamentally. Uh, share price has seen a little bit of weakness in the last month or so as the Chinese steel mills have started yep. to step up production. Um, They've got, I think they've got significant growth potential in the United States, um, so there should be some tailwinds to yeah. their US earnings. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you may have heard about the, they've decided to contest uh, the ruling against them with the ACCC. Yeah. Uh, it was only a relatively small fine for them at 57 million bucks or so, so yeah. nothing to be concerned about. But that, that steel price with China though, yeah. you know, to keep the mills going in China, they're going to have to export a lot more because yeah. demand internally, the property market is just yep. collapsing. So there's no, there's going to be no buying there for it. No, I, I mean, the good thing about Bluescope, they've been a little bit, um, they've been quite strategic. So they're now the owners of the second largest metal and painting company called Coatings. Um, they've established oh. a brand new recycling business as well. What they, oh. um, okay. they purchased Metal X. Yep. Um, so while I, I probably couldn't say it's a buy right now, I definitely think it's a hold if you've already got it. Oh, that's I, interesting. The same concerns that Daniel had with some yep. of the headwinds. Um, but I just think it's um, it's a relatively well-run business. Okay. Um, and I think there's a lot of upside from here. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you uh, for that suggestion, Mark. Um, now, Charles wants to view Sean on RPM Global, a uh, uh, technology software business mainly in the uh, focusing on the mining industry. Yeah. So um, software for the mining industry generally, yeah. um, it's a solid company. All of their reporting seems to be in line with expectations um, and there aren't any surprises. Uh, their, software, their, uh, their software subscription revenue seem to be growing steadily. So we, we like that about this business. Great high margin uh, revenue item. Um, we think it's probably trading at around fair value right now to uh, $1.50. Uh, so we don't really see any upside. So wouldn't sell it if you hold it. I'd probably right. just stick around, uh, but certainly wouldn't be buying at these okay. levels. Uh, Daniel, is this a, um, a resource version of Technology One? Or is that <laughs> putting too much polish on it? <laughs> uh, perhaps not Technology One. I mean, Technology One's obviously a bit more of a, a leader in its field. Although I will say there are obviously hallmarks um, in terms of what the business has been reporting over the last few years that are really interesting. So, you know, I actually thought Aussie Broadband had one of the best reports in reporting season. And yep. I actually thought RPM Global was up there as well. Mm. Now, the reason why is if you look at the numbers just on, on its own basis, you know, it doesn't look like there's anything obviously, you know, really strong about this business. I think that's being obfuscated by a few things. Number one is that it still has a pretty large advisory base of revenue and earnings, which obviously, you know, advisory in the mining space, very low margin. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the performance linked revenue goes paid out to bonuses to staff. So that low margin business kind of, you know, really hides the bottom line. Another thing is similar to Objective Corp, you know, that they expense, you know, 100% of their R&D. So I would say the bottom line, if you compare it to other software companies, looks very different for that reason. And the third is that they're still ongoing for this transformation 
from licensed sales to, to annual recurring sales. So I think you'll see the bottom line significantly improve going forward. Um, a lot of analysts have called this out who cover the stock, but they have $130 million effectively in software sold. It's just yet to be recognized. Now, if we look at kind of the contribution margins that the company puts on those numbers and what competitors, you know, historically have shown, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to generate 30% operating margins on that figure and that's going to be a huge kind of increase to the bottom line and will make the numbers look mm. really good going forward um okay. you know th they are they are actually you know probably considered one of the best suppliers of, of software in the space they have nine out of the top 10 miners using at least some of their software at some of their assets and, and that's going to be okay. continued to roll out going forward so i think this one's probably a little bit underappreciated you know the, the cash flow is the one thing I would say be cautious for because I think around 70% of their annual cash flows are recorded um, in, in the first half of the year, uh, uh, in the first right. half of the calendar right. year because of the timing of those software sales. So just be cautious of that. Um, but I think there is you know, quite a few things going on here which can make the business look a, okay. a lot more attractive going forward. So would it be, be right to describe this, Daniel, as they're, they're in this sort of no man's land from going, from selling their software at an annual fee or a one-off fee to transitioning to this SaaS, well, software as a service where your customers pay on a monthly basis. So um, the transition means you don't get a big amount up front, but it gets paid over the year. And so over that first year or two, um, it's, it's not as lumpy, um, but the potential is still there. Yeah, that, that's spot on. So typically, you know, you would have seen companies like this, they would have had, you know, on-site software installed yeah. at the location. So once you move to the cloud, it's obviously a bit of a, a bit of a game changer and you can charge that annual recurring fee and you don't have to go out and install yeah. um, on base and consistently incur that maintenance. Which analysts love, don't they? Because it's, a, it's yeah, more, exactly. more certain. And, it's, and from, from the company's perspective, you know, it's much easier to grow over time uh, and have control over over the base and your costs and the revenue line um, because you, you're not having to worry about, oh, well, last year we had an amazing year in sales. You know, we're not going to be able to back that up. We're going to get penalized for that. Like if you look at the management's commentary in the annual report, they're basically saying that the pipeline's huge. I mean, they actually sold, I think, $70 million in software last year. But obviously that, that revenue is not going to be recognized, you know, mm. until until the, the revenue is booked. So I, I think there's pretty big momentum here oh. that isn't really being well digested by the market. I mean, I think it's about a 330 million odd company, 30 mil net cash. And just from the software margins that they should earn on what's already sold, I think the valuation probably prices in. It doesn't seem to be really pricing in continued growth. Um, at all, and if they can achieve that, and the numbers look much better, I think you'll have a bit of a re-rate. Yeah, and Sean, everyone lumps these guys in as sort of a mining services company, which um, will will fluctuate with commodity prices. But they're more than that, aren't they? Sort of when they're they're about running the operations and cutting costs and yeah. being more efficient. So they they sort of they can't be lumped in with a traditional mining services group. No, um, not at all. Like Daniel said, um, they do have a large, uh, large portion of their revenue from advisory type yeah. services, which is low, um, low margin. Um, also, once they do start booking this revenue from their cloud-based uh, software, I think that will provide a little bit more upside. Um, yeah. But I still think, even when I look at it. 
um, with our team. We, we discussed it yesterday and changed our mind um, between buy or sell, sorry, buy or hold. We stuck with a hold. We, we right. just think it's a fair value. Okay. Um, what was your view, Daniel, would you buy at these levels? Yeah, I'm happy to call it a buy. Right. Obviously, you know, within reason. You, you're not you're not loading up on this. There's risk no. here, but I think it's good <laughs> enough for a buy. All right, uh, let's move on. Lily, I want a view on Capricorn Metals, Sean, um, a one of our, our gold miners, gold producer, the yeah. Quinana. Uh, sorry, Carla Winder Gold yep. Project. Yeah, um, Capricorn, hundred thousand ounces a year of production. Um, only recently started. Um, Gold stocks are, uh, I'm struggling with these at the moment. Um, now, this is a heavily shorted stock. I had a look and the open interest on the shorts was about 15 million, about 15 million shares uh, yesterday. So why? Um, if you have a look at what happened, so the gold price, you would have expected it to come off as interest rates have, have gone up over the last year, but they haven't. So I think I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in the um, to the gold price once interest rates start falling again. Um, uh, normally you'd see gold prices go up. So I think some of these shorts are just pricing in that gold is overvalued, um, right. especially if there are further interest rate but, rises. But in Australian dollars, it's... But in Australian dollars, yeah. It's so really good. Our view is gold's underperforming in US dollars, but outperforming in um, Australian dollars. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a hold. I think that you can't go wrong in gold. They've got a... I think these guys have got a long mine life, um, a lot of money to come in. They yeah. don't need to spend anything else. Um, I just think looking at the short interest, if there is any weakness or if there is any strength in the gold price and those squeeze, shorts get squeezed, you could yeah. see a really good pop, um, which could provide you with an opportunity to take some profits. So are all gold stocks being shorted? No, not, a, not like this. This oh. is, okay. yeah, it, for some reason, do you have a preferred gold stock, though? Uh, not really. I, right. I'm actually not in, in any gold stocks at the right. moment okay. where we exited a little while ago. Um, right. We're looking to get back in, but we're just not comfortable yet. We mm. want to see gold pull back a bit right. Um, right now. So I probably agree with the shorts right. if they can hold out, but uh, wait and see. I mean, having said that, I am a hold. Right. I think if you take a longer term view. Okay. Uh, Daniel? What do you what are your views on Capricorn metals and and probably more broadly gold as well? Yeah, I think more specifically to Capricorn, it's it's probably been one of the best performers in the sector um, over the last few years. So they're, they're only a recent producer. Um, before that, you know, that they actually had a, a huge lull uh, in terms of time period where management and, and the board didn't really get anything done with some of the projects that they had, but. Um, there was a bit of kind of activist management. They brought on Mark Clark, who's you know famous from Regis Resources and developing some of the open pits there, and and he's done an excellent job uh, in pushing the company forward. So they actually built the gold project in WA pretty much during COVID, uh, and they built that on time and on budget, which I think is a you know remarkable effort when you look at all the other issues companies have faced since then, particularly in the gold sector in regards to, to cost overruns, insufficient labor and, and the sorts. And basically since uh, operations have started, you know, they've probably had one of the best track records of actually producing cash flow quarter on quarter, um, maintaining consistency, always meeting guidance. So it's trading at a pretty significant premium for that reason, Koshi. And I, and I would say that's why 
the short interest is here in the stock no. because on a valuation basis, it looks a little bit silly. Um, it's trading significantly above, you know, the the the, the much larger companies like Northern Star and Evolution, uh, but perhaps you know that that management premium is somewhat warranted, and and they're looking to restart that. So there's another project there, Mount Gibson, which will double double um, production output from around 100, 125 to over 250. Um, if they're able to do that once again, execute on time, on budget, and maintain the same cost structure, I probably think the company's um, actually slightly undervalued. Given where gold prices are, there aren't too many gold companies. If you actually look into the hedge books, which are receiving really high gold prices, because a lot of them have you know poor hedge books from from years gone, uh, where they're receiving prices look well less than 20% below the current price. Hmm. Whereas these guys, they just actually close out the hedge book. Um, so that's that's a big kicker as well for revenue. So, you know, I actually think hold potentially even even a nibble here if you are interested in the gold space I, i'd probably look to sell some of the larger cap names I, I think they don't really look very appealing given kind of the project performance they've had i'd probably sell the likes of northern star and evolution and have a look at something like a capricorn instead okay all right and our final stock daniel uh, andrea wants a view on hmc capital where not talking about a real estate REIT here, but the manager of a couple of REITs, the uh, the uh, the Home Co um, listed funds, and and potentially a, another couple as well coming aboard. Yeah, so I guess these guys are probably some of the most active in the space in terms of deal making in recent years, which I guess is potentially a, a bit of a risk going forward because it is a, a point in the market where things do look a little bit shaky here, Koshi. But, you know, I guess if you're backing HMC here, you're really backing the management team and, and David DeBilla, who's got a pretty good track record in the space. He's really well known for the, the acquisition they did um, of the master's portfolio from Woolworths. And they ended up making a mozza on that. I think they redeveloped those large sites into some of those kind of um, you know regional um, large format mm. malls like HDN. They're they're, um, they're owned. So you know they have a good track record. If funds under management has grown significantly. I mean they're, they're approaching ten billion dollars. So not exactly a small player by any mark. And we know from the likes of Charter Hall, once you start to see a lot of scalability in that farm, um, then earnings can can really generate. Uh, really significant growth quite quickly. The only thing that's probably keeping me back at the moment, perhaps, um, are some of the deals that they've done. Prices look that they look reasonable, uh, and gearing levels look reasonable. But there's always the risk that things uh, okay. do get a little bit worse. So I'd probably stay on the sidelines for now. Uh, but you know, this is probably one of the stocks where, if the interest rate story starts to turn around, and you want that leverage um, to risk, you want that leverage to falling rates. Probably HMC is the one in the REIT space I'd, I'd have a good look at. And, and HMC, is it better to own the manager rather than the, the fund? Is this a classic case? You'd rather uh, buy this than than the two listed REITs that it oh, manages? Look, I, I think it depends on what your expectations of an investor are. If you're investing for growth, you know you probably wouldn't invest in the REITs. If you're investing for income, you'd more so look at the REITs, more of a stable income. But if you're looking for that upside and that real leverage to the REIT story, I think HMC is probably one of the Mm. better ones positioned for that, Koshi. Okay. Sean, what do you think? And and they just raised, haven't they, for a um, a hospital one, Um, an acute Private yeah, equity, private and, equity yeah. and a life sciences fund. Yep. Um, I don't know why a fund manager would be listed. I don't get it. I don't. I wouldn't invest in it. 
I'd be a sell. Um, it's a margins game at the end of the day. I right. think they've got eight. Uh, uh, Daniel said it's almost, yeah, so eight to 10 billion under management. Yep. Um, and I think with interest rates where they are, um, I think the cost of their debts get more expensive. Um, I just don't see any value here. I think there are there are just better opportunities on the market than investing right. in a fund manager. Just go right. put your money in their fund if you want to back them. Okay, uh, so but but then the other argument says that they just clip the ticket along. They have a, a <coughs> lot lower risk. Doesn't matter what the fund does. Hopefully, you want more funds under management so you can clip a bigger ticket. But you know, the, you you go for the manager rather than the trust itself. I completely agree um, with that. Low risk, low margin, I don't think that's gonna have, for us to put a buy on something, we have to be able to see 20 plus percent right. in performance for the year. Yep. Um, I just don't see that with this stock. Um, yep. I agree with Daniel, excellent managers, great track record. I just don't see value in investing in the fund manager. Yep. Fair enough. All right, let's uh, recap the final five stocks in this half hour. Uh, Silk Laser, take your money and run um, uh, with the offer done and dusted from uh, from West Farmers. Uh, look out for Cosmetique um, as an IPO, similar space. Uh, Sean likes it a bit better than Silk Laser, but uh, could come on before Christmas. Uh, Blue Scope, a sell from Daniel, hold from Sean. RPM Global, hold from Sean. A buy from um, from Daniel. Uh, Capricorn, a hold from both, although Daniel is sort of um, shifting towards a bit of a nibble, really likes the company and what it's got ahead. And HMC Capital, uh, a no from Daniel and a sell from Sean. Uh, Daniel Ortiz uh, from Lincoln Indicator, Stock Doctor. Mate, good to see you. Enjoy the yeah, rest of the week. Great to be on. Thanks, Goshi. Uh, and uh, Sean Cartwright from uh, Anadara. Yeah, Anadara. Got to get Anadara uh, Asset Management. Uh, how was the experience first first time on the call? You going to come back? Hope so. Good. Well, don't feel Excellent. too beaten up. <laughs> no, not at all. You're terrific. All right, Thank mate. You. Good to see you. Thanks. Uh, that's it uh, for the call for today. Don't forget, if you've got um, any stocks you want me to put to our expert panel, um, go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks or tweet us using at osbiz.tv. Stick around. The Pulse is next. <laughs>